0: That's Tom Fornelli. I'm Chip Patterson here to recap a wild week three with you. Uh, We've got a lot unfolding as we always do, including UCLA finding itself in a deficit against Fresno State. Uh, We've got BYU currently holding serve against Arizona State at home. Those results we will continue to update you with throughout the night. But Tom Fornelli, you just got done live blogging and writing up the thrilling conclusion to uh, Penn State's 28-20 win against Penn State. we get, Again, so much to get to. We will be discussing Alabama, Florida, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Ohio State all winning with some criticisms for all of them. A Cincinnati-Indiana game that I'm not sure happened in the eyes of a lot of the college football world, but I was watching, and I have takes and thoughts. michigan And Michigan State both looking good. The ACC looking bad. Lots to get to, but the headliner game of the entire day and of week three was the one that you just covered up close and personal. So for um, your just sort of instant thoughts right off the rip here for Penn State and Auburn, the atmosphere looks incredible. Penn State gets a win. Sean Clifford, Doesn't have me eating my words totally just because the under still cast. But when he's 28 of 32, that is something that you're going to be looking at and thinking is like, okay, well, maybe I shouldn't be downgrading Penn State for Sean Clifford reasons all the time. So what do we make of Penn State's win? And I guess for the winning side first, what's what's the ceiling? Do you adjust it at all based on what you saw?
1: Well, first of all, my theory about day and night, totally true. Like, oh,
0: because the defense looks great yeah. when they're not playing at noon and when yeah. they're playing under the lights.
1: Like when when Auburn wasn't able to run the ball on the inside against Penn State tonight, it's because Penn State's defense was solid. But when it was against Wisconsin during the day, it was like these are just crappy teams. Now, um, I think that my opinion of Penn State changed quite a bit tonight. Not like kind of like what you were saying. I've been on Sean Clifford for the last two years now talking about how Penn State was basically a quarterback away from being a legit contender in the Big Ten and a legit contender for a playoff spot. Sean Clifford raised the floor of what I think he could be tonight. Not to the point where I think he's a game-changing quarterback who's going to go out and win you games all by himself, but he went up against a good Auburn defense, was 28 of 32, averaged about 8.8 yards per attempt, 10 yards per completion had a couple of big plays in the passing game to his tight end. Some of them were included some yak that kind of inflated the total, but still he, when he, when he got time tonight and his offensive line did a good job pass blocking for him, he was making good throws and he was making good decisions and he was moving the ball down the field with that team. Because my one concern now about Penn state is they can't run the ball. Like, they ran the ball against ball state and it's going to overshadow some of the overall numbers. But if we go back to that game against Wisconsin, when they just looked like poop because they were playing during the day, they averaged 2.8 yards per carry tonight. They averaged 2.7. They're not getting much push on the interior. So for me, that's a concern. But if Sean Clifford's playing like he did tonight, and Jahan Dotson's making spectacular catches and Parker Washington's contributing and all the tight ends. There's like Penn state suddenly looks like Notre Dame with like 55 tight ends, including like they're putting their third string tight end at quarterback in the wildcat and first and goal situations. And he's scoring touchdowns like Penn state suddenly fun. It reminds me again of like when Joe Moorhead was there, the kind of offense they're running. It's entertaining. It's enjoyable. Mike Yersitch is, it's kind of a madman at times. He got a little too cute at points it nearly cost him dearly, but, They pulled through with the win. And I just think that this is a Penn State team now. Like, we'll get to it later, I'm sure, too. Ohio State's looked shaky in every single game it's played. This is suddenly, I think, in my mind, a Penn State team that can beat Ohio State. Like, I think Michigan has looked fantastic. I think Michigan State has looked fantastic. Penn State has looked fantastic. Ohio State's been, eh, I'm not so sure. So things are kind of, the calculus to me is changing in the Big Ten as far as what we've seen so far.
0: From a power rating perspective, Ohio State is still a favorite against Penn State or mm-hmm. against Iowa. But based on what we have seen, like from a resume ranking perspective, and I think that when we do when we see the new AP top twenty-five on Sunday, Iowa and Penn State will be ranked ahead of Ohio State. Uh to your point in terms of looking at this sort of shifting powers. Again, if they played on a neutral field, Ohio state would be the favorite Ohio state would be the deserved favorite. But um, the, this is a Penn state team. I I'm glad you mentioned Mike gersich because that was going to be one of my uh, threads. I wanted to follow on this because I always have some difficulty when we get all hot and bothered by offensive coordinators. And we're mm-hmm. like, Ooh, like look at he did such a good job there. Ooh, that was such a good play call. Like everyone Likes to, um, not to the point that professional fans like to, you know, cosplay as GMs, but everyone mm-hmm. as a as a football fan likes to imagine themselves as an offensive coordinator because we all played Madden, we all played NCAA football, we all think that we can draw up the perfect offense given the personnel that we know on the field. Uh, I want to make sure that Sean Clifford gets some love here, and it sounds like you gave it there because I do think this has got to be, yes. Credit to Mike Yersich. Credit to James Franklin for just deciding that Kirk Sciroc after one year, we're like, what are you doing? You're just going to only give him one season. But he saw a coordinator that he thought would be able to take this back a little bit more, to your point, to the Joe Moorhead style that got them a Big Ten championship. And also credit to Sean Clifford for being able to just, hey, (laughs) I felt like I said something controversial in our workroom today when I said teams could get better. (laughs) <laughs> so, it happens yeah, yeah they were like nobody's good nobody's good i was like yeah it's week three teams can get better but to your point i want to make sure we give sean clifford himself credit because he seems to have improved
1: he has and you know who else i want to give credit to bo nicks
0: hey what? bo Nix came up with some plays tonight son i did not count on that
1: Listen, he should have had one pick six, okay? We can't ignore that. Right. The linebacker bobbled it, didn't reel it in. Had he just caught it, it's an easy touchdown for Penn State, and that probably changes the game. But still, Bo Nix, for the most part, we've we talked about all week about how bad he was on the road in his career. And he had that near terrible moment. And he also had his inconsistent moments where he just – there are still times tonight where Bo Nix did not give his receivers a chance to make a play on a ball. And you can't get away with that on the road. But – At the same time, Auburn is not in this game if not for Bo Nix because their two touchdown drives were 11 plays at 75 yards and 15 plays for 75 yards, and they involved a lot of scenarios in which Auburn's offense was putting Bo Nix in third and medium, third and long kind of situations. He was 8 for 10 on third down. For a hundred yards, converted for six first downs. He kept drives alive. Him and Tank Bigsby both had very good games. And I know like it's it's part of the frustration with Knicks where there are still the moments where he doesn't make the plays that you need him to make, like on that on the fourth and goal at the end of the game. First of all, terrible play call. I don't know 30, why
0: that I universally agreed. I look I, yeah. on, on the broadcast. They were making the criticism and I feel like Twitter was popping off and every b- person I've talked to in conversations in the last 30 minutes have all seemed to agree that the play call there was capital B bad. Now,
1: I'm fine. Not giving the ball to tank Bigsby there because Bigsby had been their offense all night and Penn state's defense was totally keying in on him. Like, if you hand off, there's a very good chance he gets stuffed at the line of scrimmage or for a loss. I would have done play action to Bigsby and had Bo Nix, who uh, he can run, had him roll out to see if he could either get in, if there's something, if there's a lane for him to run it in, run it in. Or if somebody comes open in the end zone, make the throw, see if you could throw the touchdown. A back corner fade where it's just literally catch the snap step and toss it is a terrible play call. And it was an even worse throw. I mean, I don't care who the receiver was. like Kobe, Kobe Hunter He's only like, I think he's like six feet tall. He could have been 10 feet tall. It would not have mattered. There's no way in hell he was catching that pass and went sailing over his head and into the cheerleaders, but just a terrible play call, terrible situation to put Knicks in. but still you need to be, if, if that is the play call, whether you like it or not, you got to give your receiver a chance. And, and he did it. So there are, again, there are flaws about Bo Nix. There were flaws about the play calls. The, God, there were a lot of flaws about the officiating in that game. Just, I'm just very happy we had an entertaining game where officials made terrible calls and those terrible calls did not decide the game.
0: They went on... Okay, so there were... Terrible calls. Do we want to go ahead and jump into Memphis, Mississippi State, at least from the perspective of the officials? From SEC officials
1: having a very bad, no good day?
0: Because wasn't it the SEC officials in yes. Penn State Auburn that had the, uh, we're punting on third down now because we think it's fourth down?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so for the listeners, viewers who didn't see the game, didn't watch it, on the on a first down, they called an intentional grounding. Sean Clifford, it was first down. Keep that in mind was in the pocket under absolutely no pressure, throws the ball about 50 yards. His receiver, he thought, was running a post. The receiver thought he was supposed to run it in. So the ball goes sailing past anybody. So they call it intentional grounding, despite the fact that he wasn't grounding. It was just a miscommunication. Then another play goes, it's it's second and 11. They pick up five yards. They get dropped to second 16. They pick up five yards. It should be third and 11. The officials say it's fourth down. Hmm. James Franklin's arguing with them, but the officials are like, nope, it's fourth down. So Penn State had to punt because the officials told him it was fourth down when really it was third down. It was that kind of evening from the officials in that game because there were there was the intentional grounding call. There were a couple of terrible spots. There was the targeting at the end, which I don't agree with, but I've come to a decision in my life where I'm just done being angry about targeting calls so whatever it just is a horrible night from that crew and like I said the only good news is Penn State had to punt on a third down but Auburn didn't go anywhere and punted it right back and then Penn State scored a touchdown in its very next drive so at least it was a no harm no foul situation so in the other game, yeah.
0: So, so, about Memphis Mississippi State, a game that a lot of us had interest in. I mean, it, it was a money line sprinkle for me. You know, it was one where you had the Mississippi State team total over. I believe was mm. your lock. Yeah. Um. So there's 5:36 left in the fourth quarter, and Memphis. Memphis's Calvin Austin III returns a punt 93 yards for a touchdown, but it shouldn't have counted at all because two Mississippi State players touched the ball, downing the punt before Calvin Austin picked it up and ran it 93 yards for a touchdown. Mm-hmm. The SEC has since issued a statement.
1: And what a statement it is.
0: And I will read
1: it. Do it and stay for the kicker because the kicker is the best part.
0: At 5.58 in the fourth quarter, of the Mississippi State at Memphis game, Mississippi State punts the ball down the field where the loose ball touches multiple kicking team players before a receiving team player picks up the ball and returns it for a touchdown. The kick's ball remained live by rule since it was not possessed by a player, nor did it rest in bounds with no player attempting to secure it. On the play, the back judge gave a single Stop the clock signal immediately after the receiving team possessed the ball. The inadvertent signal aspect of the play is reviewable and the replay should have stopped the game to review for a potential inadvertent signal. The subsequent review would have placed the ball at the spot where the signal was made. Oops. Oops. And now the kicker on the same play. Two Memphis players were wearing the same number four, which is a violation and should have resulted in a five-yard penalty. So not only was the punt downed, (laughs) which would have erased the Memphis, like, and again, momentum is not real, but confidence sure is. And let me tell you the juice that this home Memphis team got with a 93-yard punt return touchdown. Not only should that not have happened, but there should have also been a penalty for Memphis having two players on the field wearing the same number.
1: You know, I could forgive them missing the two numbers. (laughs) The, The other part. I mean, if you are a Mississippi State fan, you have every right to be as angry and as mad as you want to be. I will not judge you for it. But I will say, if I'm a Mississippi State fan, my game against Memphis shouldn't come down to one bad call by the ref, even if it results in a touchdown. Mississippi State shouldn't be in that position against Memphis, who might be like the third or fourth best team in the American. It's like Mississippi State messed around with Louisiana Tech in its first game, got away with it, came back and won. They messed around today, didn't get away with it.
0: And okay. It- that's, I mean, that's fair, but they were three point favorites. Yeah. So, but, you know, like, from you're saying from a Mississippi State fan perspective, understand that you should have a higher standards for your team.
1: Yeah, like I should, I I just feel like if I'm Mississippi State, I should be more than a three point favorite against Memphis, even if it's at the Liberty Bowl. And also, like it's not lost on me. I guess this we could transition to the Alabama Florida game. It is not lost on me that as I had that t, te- I had that game on one screen and on the screen next to it at the very same time, all this stuff is going down. Florida's nearly knocking off
0: Alabama, so there's How? there's Did Dan Bowling. Did you entertain it? That was the one thing I was going to ask. Like. Yeah. Were you sitting there like, you know what? It could happen, yeah. Number one yeah. team might lose. Cause if the number one team loses, like for those of you who are probably aware that Tom and I are on like twelve platforms, we got multiple responsibilities. Number one team losing is one of those like five alarm. Siren <laughs> it's all of a sudden a whole content machine kicks into gear mm-hmm. where we're gonna have all the angles covered, we're probably gonna have to do emergency HQ that we weren't even planning on, where who knows? Like the limits of the content for a number one Alabama team losing, there are none. Yeah, so you've got to very much be already like, wait a second, I need to prepare myself. I think Alabama's about to lose. And I totally thought that was on the table. I'm glad that you did too, because that's, I, I think that we had, what, 20 minutes where you had to really entertain the fact that the Crimson Tide were going to blow this.
1: I mean, how could you not think it was a possibility? I mean, it came down to like, you know, the fourth, that came down to the uh, two point conversion. And this is a Florida team that had been mauling Alabama in the trenches the entire day. Well, not the entire day, but for the final three quarters, like they were beating Alabama up. So of course it was on the table.
0: They were running the ball well. Offensive line did a very, very good job. Um, And then on the flip side, I do think that Alabama and, you know, so my note uh, on my notepad is Alabama wants to be nastier than it is right now. Mm -hmm. I can't tell how much of it's Nick Saban, how much of it's Bill O'Brien, how much of it is them signaling to their team what they want to be able to do. And how much of it is them just being stubborn with what they already wish they could do?
1: I don't think it was Nick Saban or Bill O'Brien today. Like, I, I know that the, the gut reaction for most fans whenever things go poorly is to blame a coach or to blame, like, the play calling as if 98% of fans really have any kind of understanding of play calling. And I include myself in that. But what I saw watching that game was just... Florida averaged six yards per carry running the ball because its offensive line was kicking Alabama's defensive line's ass. And Alabama averaged only 3.4 yards per carry because Florida's defensive line was kicking its offensive line's ass. Florida was better in the trenches than Alabama today. And that's what that entire game boils down to. If not for the first quarter and Alabama getting off to a hot start where it was 21 to three after the first quarter. Like, yeah, Alabama kicked their butt in the first quarter. But the final 45 minutes of that game, that was all Florida. Like there's th- that Florida is suddenly, in my eyes, a good team. I think Florida might be better than Georgia. I know that Georgia's got the win over Clemson, and Georgia's probably still going to be number two in the polls when it comes out tomorrow. But as of right now, if Florida
0: plays the way it did today against Georgia in the cocktail party, I think Florida beats them. I don't think that Florida runs the ball with as much ease as it did against Alabama. But against did you Florida. think they would against Alabama? I have. Looked at Alabama's defensive line as carrying names with great recruiting profiles without necessarily putting together large amounts of evidence that they are at the very highest levels of college football, true difference makers.
1: Fair enough. Like, but, like we we talked so much about how great Georgia's defense looked. I mean, George,
0: I think Jordan Davis's presence yeah. changes no, no the doubt. ability no to doubt. run
1: the game. Yeah, Georgia's defensive line is just, it's phenomenal. It's great. But we talked about it in that game against Clemson. Like, oh my God, look at that performance. Well, what's Clemson done since? Clemson's offensive line has been terrible against everybody. It was terrible again tonight against Georgia Tech. So maybe Georgia's front seven was just taking advantage of a bad offensive line. And and I mean because it beat the hell out of South Carolina today?
0: I mean, I don't know. So I do want to clarify. I'm not blaming, but I do think that there were just some decisions, especially when you wanted to go for it on fourth and goal, you know, when you're that, getting yeah. those stops. Like that to me, that when I was talking about the signaling, that's what I don't know if it's Saban. I don't know if it's Bill O'Brien. I don't that's know if it's the decision-making process. It's like, oh, you guys think – that you need to tell your team that on a fourth and short, on a third and short, we get this because we are MF in Alabama and we Mm -hmm. are going to impose our will. This is an offensive line that has multiple new starters. They were shifting around a lot of those positions going into camp. They want to be able to run the ball when they need to. And the only real thing that worked, and it was so funny because they didn't hit a lot of splash plays of like 30 plus yards and they couldn't really run the ball in short yardage situations. It was like pretty much just the like short to intermediate stuff, and you can just slowly nibble away because you've got elite athletes like John Mechie and Jameson Williams. And, and look, like you open things up enough, then yes, you're going to see uh, Jace McClellan, who had some good catches out of the backfield. Brian Robinson will find ways to get some hard yards. I thought there were multiple things that Alabama's offense wished that it could do today, that it did not do successfully.
1: I agree with you on the fourth down call because I would have gone for it on that fourth and one, but I'm guessing that whoever made that decision, and I got to assume it's Saban who has the final call, was seeing the same thing I was. The offensive line was getting beat up. He probably wasn't confident they were going to get the yard. And he probably says, well, we should just get this field goal to make sure we go up by eight. But another thing though, maybe I think Bryce Young is scared of being hit.
0: Oh, that's right. That is true. That is a good observation.
1: (laughs) I think that is impacting what Alabama can do on offense as far as what it's calling with its plays. Because there was the one moment where, like, they got the touchdown out of it, but he could have just walked into the end zone and he might have had to take a hit. But instead, he threw a pass that really had very little chance of being complete. It almost was. But it's like he could have, like, again, he could have just waltzed right into the end zone, maybe had to lower his shoulder and take a hit. And there are other times, not just in that play, but there are just other times where I see Bryce Young kind of like rolling out or standing there and there's running lanes and he could take off and maybe get a first down or, you know, whatever. And he doesn't go. And I just get the sense watching him that he's either a it's either Bryce Young does not want to get hit or B, the coaching staff knowing what's behind Bryce there on the depth chart, maybe not having as much confidence in it doesn't want Bryce Young taking hits, but I think that that is limiting what Alabama can do offensively, whatever the case is.
0: I think it might be a little bit from the coaching staff. It might be. He had one scramble where his slide slash dive looked confused. Like he didn't quite decide which one it was. He just kind of crumpled at the feet of the Florida defender after getting the yards he needed for the first down And it was almost like he potentially was like, wait, what are we doing here? What's the game plan again? I've been coached to do one thing or another. Maybe,
1: but I I wouldn't be surprised if it is. But at the same time, like, even if your coaches don't want you, there was a touchdown there. I would say, sorry, coach, I scored a touchdown.
0: Mm -hmm. Tom Fernelli thinks California kid Bryce Young doesn't have the killer instinct coming up next on the cover three. Podcast.
1: Hey, I don't, I don't want
0: to get hit by a Florida safety either. I'm not yeah, judging yeah. him for it. I'm just saying, I think that's the case. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As, and again, as always put me as a punt returner and watch me do fair catch. Oh
1: God. 10 even,
0: 10. I'm not even fair catching. I'm just fire drill. Get away. Get away. Peter, 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 Peter. <laughs> um, okay. This, this one, I wanted to group together, but if we want to break them out individually, um, feel feel free to take it and run with it but uh Clemson had a strange game yeah because you deal with multiple lightning delays the game started at 3:30 it ended at like what <laughs> like 20 minutes 10? ago yeah 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 i mean it it was uh, a very very odd game but what happened before the lightning delay which happened at the end of the second quarter it did not seem like the offense was very effective uh it seemed a little bit frustrating in the fact that the offensive line could not get any kind of advantage against a team like Georgia Tech when you're going in there as a 28-point favorite. And we mentioned that this game was like 73-7 to last year, and we had joked about how after the lifting weights messed up the field, this is the game that Dabo wants to run it up. And you know what it was? It was almost a game that Clemson lost. It was almost a game that gave the Tigers a sub-500 record. So Clemson with DJ Uyunglele, with four five-star wide receivers all over the place. I mean, really, we look at what the Tigers' offense was able to do, and it goes to, to Will Shipley, a true freshman who's probably the most... Uh, a running back who's probably the most productive all-purpose threat that they have. I just... The, I believe that Clemson will get better, and I'm taking that with some of the notes from Clemson's camp, some of the notes from around that program that indicate that there was always an expectation that they were not going to be the final ver- version of themselves at the beginning of the season, including, as we remember, that they weren't settled on the starting center position going into the season opener against Georgia. Not good. Maybe should have told us what was going to happen or told me. I was wrong. So, do you do you see there being a, a Clemson uh, path to redemption here?
1: Yeah, because the ACC sucks. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I didn't get to see as much of this game as I wanted to because, like you said, the lightning delayed delayed it, and then by the time they really got back underway, I was live blogging Penn State and Auburn, so I wasn't really able to pay too much attention to it. But I did see an interesting point from is either Grace Rayner or Anna Hickey. They're both wonderful at their jobs, but. I can't remember which one it was. Um, They made a point where they think that part of Clemson's problem offensively is, and I'd like your opinion on this, is that they're more concerned about getting their three best receivers on the field than they are getting the best receivers at the certain spots where they fit best.
0: There has been, since the absence of Hunter Renfro, since the absence of Jordan Leggett, Without a really good like tight end or slot receiver to emerge, there has been a running conversation about the makeup of not personalities but skill sets of the wide receivers, and that if you have all the same, the criticism is to say that they, we've got all the same like big. Actually, you know, I don't, I don't want to say um, the same line that's been going around because I think it's meaner because there is something that we can hearken back to. My tears have already flowed for the Vanderbilt Commodores, but still, this is an old Barton Simmons. They've got a bunch of old Cadillacs. Clemson's got a bunch of 6'2 big Cadillacs with red zone targets. Yeah, Yeah. red zone targets. And when we've moved 6'3 Justin Ross inside and tried to make him a slot receiver, maybe we're maybe we're a little bit overloaded with the same type of wide receiver right now. And I think that that's, that probably speaks to uh, the comment there. Um, And I I would agree with it that we saw it last season where it felt like um, you're always just throwing 50, 50 balls to your big old Cadillacs on the outside because you figure that they can go up there and grab 50, 50 balls and bring them down. It's been going on for two seasons now. And it really has been since we lost that tight end slot receiver presence, something that still doesn't seem to be there with this offense.
1: I also do worry, like, just again, I didn't see m- as much of this game, but what I have seen through the season, I think DJU's lacking a little confidence right now. I don't think he feels very good about himself. And I think it's like coming through with his mechanics. I think it's coming through with just his overall play. I, it, he just seems unsure of himself and like second guessing decisions. And it's slowing him down and it's costing the Clemson offense.
0: So the the follow up to that, that I would say is, you know, Dabo Sweeney comes out here and is like, you guys don't realize how hard it is to be the Clemson quarterback. We all roll our eyes. I don't know maybe it's tough after deshaun watson and trevor lawrence to be stepping into that position and take on all of that uh responsibility and and faint
1: i don't i don't doubt that it's tough but deshaun watson replaced Taj Boyd, and then Trevor Lawrence replaced Deshaun Watson. And you look around at other programs who have had top quarterbacks and they were replaced. I mean, again, like we'll talk about with Ohio State too, C.J. Stroud's not Justin Fields, D.J. is not Trevor Lawrence, and it's probably unfair to compare them to it because those are two of the better high school, college quarterbacks coming out of high school that we're going to see and have seen in a long time. But I just think that from what I've seen, D.J., does not look confident. Like I've seen Bryce Young struggle. It's not a confidence issue. When I see CJ Stroud struggle, it's not a confidence issue. When I watch DJ, I just feel like he doesn't believe in himself right now.
0: Mm. Um, Okay. Well, let's talk about CJ Stroud and Ohio state because this Ohio state offense now all of a sudden has begun to lean very heavily on Travion Henderson, who uh, had a record setting day running the ball. Do you think that this is, something that was just revealed because of the way that Tulsa was playing defense against the Buckeyes early? Or do you think that this is just the way that Ohio state's offense needs to go now?
1: I think it was both. I mean, CJ Stroud did not play well today. Trevian Henderson was able to run the ball pretty well. So at some point, Ohio state, like they were trying to get the passing game going and it wasn't working. And it was allowing Tulsa to hang around and hang around and hang around. And they finally said, all right, well, We just need to start giving the ball to Travion. And again, he rushed for 277 yards, three touchdowns, averaged 11 and a half per pop. So it was a good decision. But again, the problems with Ohio State are the same as they were last week. Like Kerry Combs did not call the plays this week. I can't remember who Ryan Day said called them. But the problems are the same. Ohio State got two sacks and they had six tackles for loss, but they came at the end late in the fourth quarter when the game was still a lot closer than it should have been. And you'll see that score that's 41 to 20. The game was not that much of a blowout. Ohio State got a pick six in the final seconds. It was a Tulsa had a chance to tie the game multiple times in the fourth quarter, which should not have been happening. But Tulsa, it's just proved to be a giant pain in the butt to everybody at play. So give Tulsa some credit for that. But overall, there's no pressure. There's no pass rush. There's no havoc. There's no nothing. Tulsa's, you know, Davis Bryn had all day to throw. He was 31 of 54 for 428 yards. He had two interceptions, but he also threw two touchdowns. And it's just, it's a problem. And looking around the rest of the Big Ten, if, like we saw tonight, Sean Clifford, you give him time, he'll pick you apart. If Ohio State's not getting pressure on Sean Clifford when they play Penn State. He's gonna pick him apart like everybody else is picking that secondary apart right now.
0: I had the biggest double take when it was revealed that Matt Barnes was the one who was calling the plays. The not that, Barnes, yeah. yeah, not that I've got any like doubts in Matt Barnes. It's just his name's Matt Barnes. <laughs>
1: The host of the <laughs> Up in Smoke podcast. With <laughs> yeah. Steven Jackson.
0: I, I mean, was he so he has uh this is his third season on the Ohio State coaching staff. I think maybe his fourth before that he was uh, at Maryland. Mm-hmm. Um, like I mean, was he was not somebody that was on my uh radar. In fact, he's he's a year older than me, I guess according to his college graduating class. But uh, but uh, I mean It is very interesting that uh, that Ohio State is going through the whole like reassignment of duties dance. And to your point, doesn't seem like we've uh, we've solved all the issues right now.
1: Yeah, it's funny because there's there is something strange about like the secondary coach. Being calling the plays when the secondary has been struggling, but at the same time, our big reason the secondary struggling because the defensive line struggling. So you can't make the defensive line coach. The linebackers are struggling, so you, it's like who can we give it to? It's like okay, we'll give it to Matt Barnes. It worked with Jeff Halfley. He was the defensive backs coach
0: too. <laughs> they are missing uh Jeff Halfley. Congratulations to Dennis Grossel, who uh, I think. Was a winner as a starting quarterback today with like 43 yards passing on five of 13 attempts. Mm-hmm. Yay, Eagles. All right, one more elite team that I think will be giving up spots in the AP Top 25, even though they won. If they don't give up spots, they'll, they're definitely losing confidence in voting points. The Oklahoma Sooners, who were a one-score winner as a 22 and a half point favorite against Nebraska is so you jumped on the Caleb Williams train early. Mm-hmm. Is that the theme this week? As we really take the take the wheel with Oklahoma and try to figure out what the fallout is from a performance where the offense was um incredibly disappointing, basically start to finish.
1: I mean, let's look at Oklahoma this season. There was what, the 76 to nothing win over Western Carolina. And that came between a five-point home win over Tulane and a seven-point home win over Nebraska.
0: Can I hit um, you with a stat?
1: Do, yeah, you can hit me.
0: In its games against FBS teams in 2021, Oklahoma has been favored by a combined 53 points and won by a combined 12. Against well, FBS <laughs> opponents, it is failing to cover the spread By 41 points.
1: Yeah, it's, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to blame it solely on Spencer Adler. I just, you know, there's a theme. And it's not so much with Oklahoma, but like, let's, Alabama's struggling. It looked, Alabama looked more vulnerable than it's ever looked in a long time today. Ohio State's looked vulnerable all year. Clemson's looked vulnerable all year. And Oklahoma's looking vulnerable. This is going to be a strange season. We mentioned it when we were on HQ yesterday. Like The pandemic was the strangest season we're ever going to see because it was played in a pandemic. There were a bunch of empty stadiums, and it was weird. But there are ramifications being felt in 2021 in which it has been a crazy first three weeks of the season. And I think it's a pretty simple explanation as for why. The elite teams lost a bunch of players to the NFL because they're elite, and that's what elite teams do. But when that happens in a normal season, it's fine because every team is losing players. But guess what? Because of COVID, every other team in the country had a whole bunch of super seniors coming back. So you've got all the elite teams still trying to find their way and working new players in while everybody else has a bunch of sixth, fifth and fourth year seniors in the top two on the depth chart who have been there and done that and they're ready to play. And I think that is a huge reason why we are seeing so many crazy results early in this season. And I think that's part of it for Oklahoma because I I'm looking at it now, and Bill Connolly's returning production rankings, they're better than the others. They were 73rd in the country, but Clemson was 104th. Alabama was 123rd. Ohio State was 125th. Notre Dame, who has looked kind of vulnerable, was 124th. It's like, I I don't think this is a coincidence.
0: We will get into Notre Dame, which survived uh, a drumless Purdue In South Bend. Uh, Cincinnati went from down 14 to winning by 14. How'd that happen? What do we make of it? Uh, The incredible performance for Michigan State. Uh, West Virginia holds off Virginia Tech. And so much more from week three. Next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or
2: Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply.
0: All right, so let's start with Cincinnati, Indiana, because uh, I made the joke at the beginning of the show. I, I claimed it for uh, in our workroom. I was like, hey, like I'll, I'll keep eyes on this. And there was just so many minutes where it looked like a top 10 team was going to lose, and it felt like no one cared. <laughs> I mean, I understand they were only like a three and a half or four point favorite on the road against an Indiana team that started the season in the preseason top 25, but it was still a top 10 team that was in a 14 0 hole that could have been 28 to nothing. If not for a turnover on downs in the red zone and then an interception in the end zone. And sure enough, Those mistakes, not to mention a fumble in the red zone that came later in the second half, ended up um, uh, leaving the Hoosiers well short of where they wanted to be. So do you come out of this um, moved by uh, love each other and the effort? Like Michael Penix was so bad early, and then in the second half, he stepped it up. He he came up with some huge plays. And at the same time, um, I also think that Desmond Ritter... Settled in just a little bit. Uh, It turned in basically to a shootout. There was Mm -hmm. 20 game minutes with five lead changes. Looked like a total rock fight for the whole first half. Then it all of a sudden, it blew open. Do you come out of this feeling confident that Cincinnati is one of the 10 best teams in the country?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, well, I'm going to go back to what you said at the very start. The top 10 team was losing and nobody seemed to care. That is exactly why Cincinnati will never make the playoff. It's got Mm -hmm. nothing to do with their ability as a football team because honestly, yes, they're a top 10 team. And the fact that they got down 14 to nothing on the road in a tough spot and then fought back and outscored the opponent 38 to 10 the rest of the way does nothing but convince me further that Cincinnati is a good football team. It just doesn't matter. Because it didn't move the needle, and had Cincinnati lost this game, like you were, ta- we were talking earlier on the show, if Alabama loses, all hands on deck.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: You and I all were running, we're putting on our ties, we're putting on our sport coats, we're jumping on, getting our cameras ready for HQ. If Cincinnati had lost, hey, can we get like a like five hundred words on Cincinnati losing to Indiana? No rush.
0: Or pass, just put it in the live blog. Yeah,
1: and. Yeah. It, it sucks, but it's just the, it is the truth of the situation, but it is, they're a very good football team. Desmond Ritter's is a good player. They have a good defense. They have a lot of Jerome Ford's a good player on offense. Alec Pierce is good. They've got a lot of really good players. But it doesn't really matter because it, it hurts them in a way because they beat Indiana. So now Indiana is a two-loss team. So that's going to mean absolutely nothing on their resume at the end of the season. Indiana's not going to be ranked. Indiana is probably going to be 6-6 six and six or 7-5. And, and Now they're going to go play Notre Dame. But it's like if they beat Notre Dame, it's like, ah, well, Notre Dame nearly lost to Florida State, nearly lost to Toledo, and kind of a little too close to Purdue all day. So who really cares about them beating Notre Dame? But they... They are a top 10 team in my estimation. Yes, I think they're very good. And I'm sorry, Cincinnati fans, that again, you will never be in the playoff
0: until you join the Big 12. And even then, might not get in. Hopefully, we'll be expanded. If hopefully being the word for a Cincinnati fan, not necessarily mine, we could still be at four. Who knows? Don't worry, college football fans. That's for conference commissioners to fight about. <laughs>
1: <laughs> They'll be fine. They all love each other. Yeah, yeah, for sure.
0: All right. So, Notre Dame. Um, I went back and, you know, be locking up Purdue plus seven and a half, being on CBS Sports HQ plus seven and a half. You know, there's, I had my own selfish interest in this game, but to go back and really review it in preparation for this podcast, it reminded me of last year's Louisville game. I guess for a lot of different reasons. But the theme that carried over was Notre Dame established an advantage and then just decided it was going to keep Purdue at arm's length. And yeah. it was going to do whatever it needed to do to keep Purdue at arm's length. And while the scoreboard suggested otherwise, if you were score tracking or just popping in, if you were actually locked into that game, as I was not at the time, but then had to review, Notre Dame was never going to lose.
1: Yeah, there, there was never any real peril. Right. And it's like, yeah, because Purdue actually outgained Notre Dame on the day. It's just they did it by averaging 4.4 yards per play. They just ran a lot more plays than than And
0: some of that was trying to catch up. A lot Mm -hmm. of those plays and a lot of those yards were, you know, with Aiden O'Connell in the game, you know, as we're just trying to do anything we can against some softer uh, against some softer Notre Dame defense.
1: Yeah, I I, I mean, as far as Notre Dame is concerned, I thought that was a pretty. Blah performance for the most part. Like Kyron Williams had a really nice play at the end to score a touchdown and put it away. But other than that, Notre Dame's offense didn't really do a whole lot to impress me. Jack Cohn looked very mediocre. I mean, they looked the same as they've looked all season for the most part, save for like that first half against Florida State. Ever since then, ever since halftime of that game, they've looked pretty bang average. the The bigger takeaway for me is I'm surprised Purdue is not better than this by now.
0: Under Jeff Brom, in terms yeah. of like overall program development,
1: yeah, there's just there's been, like they came out great, like they had such, you know, they're coming off terrible years when they hired Brom, and then they're going to bowl games, and it's like, oh man, this is, you know, this is hot. Then you know, remember Brom is like Louisville's trying to give him a Godfather deal for the most part, and he's sitting there sticking at Purdue because it's like, no, and you're like, wow, I can't believe Purdue's going to be able to hang on to Jeff Brom with the alma mater coming open, and now it's a few years later, and you're like. Oh, I, I don't know if he's going to be there how much long or how much longer he's going to be there. I guess it's going to depend on what Purdue's goals are, but it's just the team hasn't really improved. It just, I mean, I guess it's improved in the aspect that hey, they're not going two and ten or three and nine anymore, and getting just completely they're not the butted they're not the butt of jokes in the Big Ten. But this it's a mediocre football team, man, and I I don't know I don't see signs there of that changing.
0: Would you say definitively behind? um Uh, This is a dumb one. Minnesota. Yes. And definitively behind Wisconsin.
1: Yes. Iowa. Yes. Nebraska. Yes. No. Yeah. Yeah. Nebraska. Nebraska nearly knocked off Oklahoma today, Chip.
0: Whoa, 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 whoa. whoa! I can't take that. But I my brain's not ready to handle that. I'm going.
1: Purdue's not hanging within a touchdown of Oklahoma. Purdue's losing that game by 20 something. I mean, I think I think Purdue's probably better than Northwestern and Illinois, but that's
0: pretty low bar to clear right now. But I I think Nebraska's better than Purdue. I need to review um and uh, and update all of my calculations here, but I think I think I would take Purdue against Nebraska.
1: I mean, I'm not saying I wouldn't ta- actually. I probably wouldn't take them, but it depends what the number is. But I I think if you put them on a neutral field. I would take Nebraska.
0: Okay. Well, you know what? It doesn't even matter because all these teams would rank behind like the top four Big Ten East teams. If we were to take out the divisions and just stack them up because you know who looks really good? Michigan and Michigan State. Like really good. Mm -hmm. I think Michigan State's going to be ranked on Sunday. Oh, they better be. So that'll give them four Big Ten East teams in the top 25.
1: Yeah, it's the best division in football. Woo! No, I mean, Michigan State went on the road and beat a ranked team and granted I don't think that ranked team should be ranked. <laughs> but still, it's gonna look good on the resume. I don't I don't think Miami's very good, but Michigan State has just been and it's the same story with Michigan. We'll get to like they haven't played the most stellar of schedules, but they're Doing what, you, what good teams do. like In a year like this, where we're seeing all the elite teams kind of struggle and, and mess around and get caught in games where they shouldn't really be caught in, Michigan State's coming out handling its business. Michigan is coming out and handling its business. And that, to me, considering where those two programs have been in recent years, is a terrific sign because it's been a while since we've been able to say that about either of them. And I think that Michigan State in particular... I mean, there's, they're not perfect, but there's no glaring flaw. Like, they can run, they can pass, they play solid defense. They're probably going to lose when they come up against an elite team later in the year because they just don't have the same level of talent yet. But they're going to muddy it up, and they're going to make it difficult, and they're going to have a chance to win those games. And I feel the same kind of way about Michigan, except Michigan's probably got more talent than Michigan State right now. So... I I think the Big Ten East is going to be really fun (laughs) over the next two months.
0: So why do you think that Kenneth Walker got away? From what Kenneth Walker has said,
1: they talked about it on the broadcast today. He just, I guess he just didn't feel like Wake Forest was utilizing him the way he wanted to be used. Like, I think that he just didn't feel like he was a fit in their offense. And I don't know, if I'm Wake Forest, I'm like, damn it. (laughs) We should have kept this guy because he looks really good, dude. I mean, like he looks like a genuine top running back. He looks like he's going to be all big 10 the way he's going. He rushed for 172 yards on 27 carries. He's a threat. The passing game. He caught a touchdown today. He's just he's he's become the player that Michigan State has built its offense around and their offense looks really good building it around Kenneth Walker.
0: And to be fair, Wake Forest still does look good. Yeah. Wake Forest offense is still cooking. So it's uh, uh Kenneth Walker, by the way, was like one of the best freshman running backs in the ACC in 2019 In the weird 2020 season finishes tied for third in the entire ACC in rushing touchdowns. And, uh, and now, you know, he transferred in January. He is uh, one of the like really, really impressive signs. One of the like stars of this Michigan state team right now. Um, I loved Mel Tucker in shorts. (laughs) That's that's not the first time he's done that either. Cause he, he did it at Colorado too. Right. Yeah. That's, that's,
1: that's a guy who ain't scared of anybody. He doesn't care what you think. Like if you look at it, why, why are coaches wearing pants on the sidelines when it's 95 degrees and humid? Because they feel like they're supposed to, and they don't want to, They don't want to do what people say. <laughs> He's wearing shorts. Mel Tucker don't care. Mel Tucker's not an idiot. He's like, it's ninety-five degrees. Right. They got us standing in the sun for three and a half hours. I'm gonna wear shorts. Try to say something to me about it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. no, no, cool, cool, cool. You go tell Mel Tucker. Yeah, that his shorts look like uh, they are inappropriate. Steve see what Mel cares. Tucker has. say. <laughs> yeah, see, see what he has to say about that. Um. Uh, West Virginia jumped all over Virginia Tech early. Oh, so we're are we just like cutting bait with Miami? Let's let's reposition them because North Man. Carolina thumped No, excuse me, they did not thump because that game was 28-24 at halftime and then Virginia's de- uh it got kind of sideways late, but yeah. North Carolina's defense settled in, came up with some stops um and Virginia's defense just wasn't getting any stops against Sam Howell, who is now also a huge part of the run game uh, for the Tar Heels, going over a hundred yards rushing. I think in each of the last two games, maybe it was ninety some against Georgia State. But um, I, how do you order the ACC coastal? <laughs> so Virginia Tech has a win against North Carolina, but then lost to West Virginia but it lost to West Virginia as an underdog and had a shot right there at the end. Cause West Virginia jumped all over Virginia tech early. Hokies ended up climbing back into the game. Pitt lost to Western Michigan.
1: Killed a parlay for me. Um, <sighs> honestly, I don't know. The ACC coastal is going to be different every week. We could have the same conversation every single weekend after the games. And I, we're going to have mostly different answers every single time i i i don't think virginia tech losing on the road to west virginia is a bad loss i don't think virginia tech's a particularly good team i think virginia tech beat north carolina i think come the end of the season north carolina will prove to be better than virginia tech i don't think miami's gonna hang in i think virginia is better than georgia tech is better than miami is better than duke is better than pitt I don't think Virginia is better than North Carolina and that kind of showed today, but I, I think this is going to be our typical ACC coastal. I think it's going to come to the end of the season. Everybody's going to have at least two losses. Most will probably have at least three and it's going to come down to some crazy, strange tiebreaker scenario that we don't even know.
0: Oh no. It ends up with me actually drawing, uh, like names out of a hat in a smoky room in the Sedgefield Country Club in Greensboro, North Carolina, where I am perfectly meeting the dress code and, uh, and maybe a little bit overserved, because the ACC was started in a smoky country club room and uh, in Greensboro, North Carolina. So that's where all the tiebreakers, I think, are officially have to be decided. I don't have a I, Virginia Tech is the one wild card. Pitt! Messing around with Western Michigan is like
1: I mean it's what Pitt does, but I was dumb enough, yeah I, I was dumb enough to convince myself this pitt team might be different now I'm just mad at myself for it,
0: um okay, so we're kind of deep into the show. Graham asks, I need a live reaction to this st- score northern arizona twenty one Arizona thirteen Arizona stinks. Like, I've been saying this in the offseason. I was saying it during the last three weeks. Arizona's
1: a bad football team, man. Kevin Sumlin didn't get fired because he had a good team. Like, I understand there was excitement about the Jetfish hire, and he's doing some stuff that's got Arizona fans excited about the future, but they're going to suck this year. They suck now. They're going to suck at the end of the year, period.
0: So what do you think of um, when – I think – let me make sure I get this right – when it was Kyler Murray's backup beating Baker Mayfield's backup <laughs> in the SMU-Louisiana Tech game as Tanner Mordecai throws his uh, – his it was from the 33-yard line start, Hail Mary's from about the 40, lands in the hands of Reggie Roberson. Um, for starters, SMU should have never been in that position against Louisiana Tech. And I like this Louisiana tech team with the way it played against Mississippi state with the way it played against SMU, I have to do a major recalibration. And by the way, that Baker Mayfield backup backup was Austin Kendall who also spent time at West Virginia. And -hmm. it just was hilarious to me that the quarterback who was on the field (laughs) in the Kansas game in 2016 when Baker Mayfield got pulled is still out here playing football For Skip Holtz. Yeah.
1: That's what I was talking about. There's like all these super seniors. But first, just seriously, thank you for not calling it a Hail Mary because way too many social media accounts were like, whoa, Hail Mary must watch. SMU beats Louisiana Tech on Hail Mary. It was a 30 yard touchdown.
0: All right. I've got I've got a confession. I wrote the like little bloggy post for our site Mm -hmm. and I just used I mean, you gotta go to Hail Mary. Mary. Yeah. You're dead to me. That's fine. I, I sold, I sold, sold off here. all respectability. I sold off all respectability to whatever the hot Google buzzwords were a long time ago. <laughs> oh, is that what? Is that? Do we need to call it a hail mary, even though it's from forty yards? <laughs> if, I, if I can make the throw,
1: it is not a hail mary.
0: I think I called it a game of five hundred. Did you ever play five hundred? Is that oh, a yeah. like? Okay, yeah. It, it was more like a five hundred throw than anything else.
1: I, I was awesome at 500 because I was 6 inches taller than everybody else my age.
0: <laughs> I was uh I w- I was the the dirtbag who called pick up every single time and just <laughs> spiked it and caused a caused a fumble ruski. Um let's see so Kansas State gets a really good win against Nevada. They like lean on their ground game a little bit. Jackson Dart ends up coming in at quarterback for uh I Black for Keenan Slovis in a 45-14 to win against uh, Washington State. Very slow starting at that point. ECU runs off 21 unanswered, goes touchdown, recover onside, touchdown, and then gets an interception when Marshall is coming the other way to try to get the go-ahead score. Bananas game in Huntington. Uh, plus, we've got Friday night's action as well. So before we start picking up some uh, some listener questions here, uh, what are some of the, the big results that stand out to you?
1: Uh, I'm a big, dumb moron at heart, so I'm serious. The Jackson Dart Eye Black is like, oh, oh USC is back. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <It's>, <laughs>
1: like, like, that's just cool looking. Like, they fight, They got a swaggy QB. USC is back, baby. Um, I would say, uh, sticking in the Pac-12, going back to the Big Ten, Minnesota just mollywopped Colorado, man. Like, mm-hmm. that was never even a close game. Let me just look at these stats here. I think Colorado finished with... Come on, finish loading. No, 63,
0: 63 yards. 63
1: yards of offense.
0: 63. In a game! In the full, not the quarter. <laughs> not the half.
1: 63 yards of offense in the full game. Minnesota went on the road to Folsom Field and just beat them down. And you mentioned it. Gotta give Kansas State props. I... I took Nevada. They were one of my locks. Dog and Will Howard. Clearly, Kansas State knows Will Howard. They're not going to win games with Will Howard throwing 30 times a game. So they only told him to throw 10 times. And he was 7-10 for 123 yards. And they said, you know what? This is a Utah State team that we can run the ball on. So let's run the ball. 48 carries, 269 yards as a team, five and a half yards a pop, four rushing touchdowns, including two by Will Howard. Shout out to the Wildcats. Getting my win total back in, I'm feeling good about it. I appreciate it.
0: Um, all right, let's start pulling some questions here. What's up, B Rabbit? Longtime listener, frequent uh, mailbag contributor. No talk about Coastal Carolina escaping by three against Buffalo. So, I came away from this one further encouraged that. Buffalo is not cratered just because Lance Leipold and Jarrett Patterson have left. It's still a pretty good football team traveling to Buffalo. is kind of a tough spot. Mm -hmm. And I actually come out a little encouraged with coastal Carolina. You know, if you look at um, Louisiana beat Buffalo by a larger margin than coastal Carolina did, uh, Oh, Excuse me. Louisiana beat Ohio by a larger margin than Coastal Carolina did against Buffalo. Both played MAC teams, both Sun Belt championship contenders. I came way more encouraged by Coastal Carolina's ability to contend for a title because it kind of felt like Ohio got the ball moving when they switched up the quarterbacks and got a little bit gimmicky, which I understand. Ohio in the ground game always has you know little wrinkles to it. It's just always been part of their DNA. But when Louisiana's defense settled down, Ohio couldn't get anything going. I thought that that margin was, um, it reflected a Louisiana team being better than it really is. And I think that Coastal Carolina got a good win here.
1: Yeah, I think that this is, I I think Buffalo is still in good shape. I mean, it's funny. Like you think about what Coastal did to Kansas and then seeing Coastal against Buffalo, it kind of shows you what Lance Leipold left behind and what he inherited. But I mean, Coastal is it's the number 16 team in the country. Not saying it doesn't deserve to be ranked, but like it's not a big team. And if it goes up against teams that do have some size and can run the ball and be physical, it's bound to struggle a little bit just because it's hard to imagine. Like if you look at that depth chart of the Chanticleers on defense, it's they don't match up well against They're They're mostly undersized at every single spot. So you can run on them if you can be physical. And I think we saw that with Buffalo today, but. They also have a very good and innovative offense that is really difficult to stop, which helps make up for that. So, I, it, it's a close win, but I still think, like you said, I think that's a good win for Coastal to go on the road and beat a pretty solid MAC team, a Buffalo team that, at come the end of the year, might be in a MAC championship game or very close to getting to it.
0: Dylan Gabriel is out. That's, yeah, that sucks.
1: And on the last play of the game, too.
0: Hmm. I thought the Louisville's win. We, we talked about it a little bit um, off air, but it was going to be that, you know, does this roster rally behind the coach? You know, what kind of, um, what can they do with a limited offense that very much misses JV and Hawkins and Tutu Atwell? Did you find yourself coming away with any more confidence or did they just win a game that they figured out how to win?
1: Uh no, I can't remember who tweeted it the other night, but it was just it's like there are, there's good Malik Cunningham games and there's bad Malik Cunningham games, and when there are the good ones, it's really fun to watch. And we got a good Malik Cunningham game this week. He looked fantastic. But I will say, I mean, I th- I think Marshawn Ford, he's not he's not Tutu Atwell or Javine Hawkins in that he's not a big play threat like he's, but he is a d- good sized tight end with good enough athleticism to be reliable to create mismatches and help you move the chains in the passing game. So he's not going to take the top off of defense, but you can rely on him getting open against linebackers and finding soft spots in zone to keep the chains moving. And I think that's really important for them to have without, with the lack of explosive plays that they've shown so far this year. So I think that there are signs of encouragement from that win to going forward, but I still, I still look at Louisville and I don't think it's, I still think it's like a seven and five team at best.
0: Um, I, one of my topics for a pun further review on Monday will be whatever I get to see. Even if I just tell the audience, I saw it because San Diego state, Utah on the mothership, I think with Amanda Guerra on the sideline might've been one of the best games of the day. And I, I didn't get a chance to I enjoy it. Saw it. it. Yeah. yeah. I was just, I mean, work responsibilities had me pulled in lots of different directions. I've, I've got it saved it will be watched before upon further review but i don't i don't think that uh i don't think that i can like speak honestly about that game other than to say what's up san diego state that's awesome utah charlie brewer my guy who went 15 for 15 in the spring game got got pulled and uh the freshman quarterback or redshirt freshman quarterback um Rising or reason
1: Cameron rising. I think
0: Yeah, Cameron rising came in there and and ended up being able to get Utah to at least force overtime. So uh, the state of Utah's offense certainly seems to be in flux. And there was another troubling tweet that I need to double check on that one, which is just sort of questioning the way that Utah played at the line of scrimmage, which if there's BYU hangover, I guess that's okay. Which, you know, (laughs) back to back road games against BYU and San Diego state. Why'd you do that to your football team? from like a physicality and mentality standpoint. Anyway, I'm,
1: you know, you know, I want to watch that game. Why? So what was the total on that? Like it closed at like what the mid forties where, let me check. But this was a game that should have been under and it's, it went over, but it didn't just go over because of the overtime. So they only scored like 16 points in the overtime, but like you look at the box score and I can't find the total. I'm going to stop looking. Um, San Diego state had 248 yards of offense. Averaged 3.9 yards per play. Utah had 327 yards of offense. Averaged 3.7 yards per play. So this was like a rock fight that somehow got to 64 points. I need to watch this game and see how the hell that happened.
0: There were so many unders that died. And you know what the only one that like really thrived was uh, Boise State, Oklahoma State. Because that thing was what, scoreless second I have round? no
1: idea how. I bet that. I have no idea how I won it. It was 21 to 20 at halftime.
0: And guess what the final score was, Tom? 21 to 20. 21 to 20. How does 21 to 20 at halftime when you're going under 58 cash at 21 to 20 as a final?
1: I mean, considering how terrible the day was for all of us on our locks, like I, I felt like that was just some sort of, hey, just give him a little it's taste okay. to make sure he comes it's back again. Okay. <laughs> yeah i haven't totaled the uh the final locks tally but oh it's it's a bloodbath i don't think danny's won one yet i think danny i have to check i haven't been able to really keep up with the the late results since we've been here but i think danny's very much a danger of an ofer Woo!
0: boy can't wait to get back into the shop <laughs> start tweaking the wheels on this thing uh listen those, those of you who've ridden with us for a while and didn't just jump on because uh, you, you thought that we were a hot hand, you, you know how this goes. This is a marathon, as you reminded our coworkers. Uh, maybe we need to jump back, uh, as, as Hayden Durham points out right here. Maybe this was <laughs> the revenge of the over army. We'll see. We'll get back to it. Uh, on Monday, we will be live at 3 p.m. Eastern time for a Upon Further Review. More of our notes uh, we've we got to get back to watching football. We've got a one-score game in BYU-Arizona State. We've got a 40-point game in Ole miss Lane. And we've got a, a Fresno, State, Fresno State field goal makes it now a nine-point game against UCLA. So we're on upset alert for the Bruins. So much more to get into. Any other uh, final notes before we get out of here?
1: Uh, next time, go for it on 4th and 1, Brett.
0: Uh-huh. I, I gave you like two opportunities to see whether you wanted to talk about that game. Do you want to Is that good? I mean that I mean
1: that, on the one aspect of it, Illinois had no right to win that game. On the other aspect of it, Illinois should have won that game. <laughs> but they had a chance and they had a 4th and 1, they were up a touchdown at their at the Maryland 41, didn't go for it. They punted. Maryland drove right back down the field on him and scored. But there was also, there was a quote, they mentioned it during the broadcast, where Bielema was talking about how after losing two straight, because this is a team, you know, he's saying that doesn't really know how to win yet. And he says that their confidence is key. And he's like, there needs to be a moment where they get their confidence back to get their swagger back. And then maybe they'll start winning games. And to me, by punting on fourth and one, that was a hell of a moment where you could have gotten your team some of that confidence but you told your team you didn't believe in them to get in that yard. So why is your team going to be confident in itself if you're not confident in your team to get a yard to helpfully not seal a game, but to greatly increase your odds of winning that game and being 2-0 and in conference?
0: Mm. That's a, I thought we were talking about a veteran offensive line too.
1: I mean, nah, I'm, you're just, I'm getting. I'm getting mad again
0: okay like, all right okay Get yeah let's let's get back to our pac 12 football okay i will <laughs> say what the, I, now that i'm mad
1: why the hell is a big 10 game starting at nine eastern on a friday that game was in champagne it ended at 12 o'clock local time it's a big 10 game what and it started at eight central because fox was showing an mls match and listen, I love soccer, but if I'm the Big Ten, there is no way in hell my tar- start time should be getting pushed back for an MLS match between Inter Miami and New York Red Bulls. S- no.
0: Hey. Like uh, I said,
1: Jim Delaney come out of retirement just so I could fire you for letting this happen. Villa won? They did.
0: Fiorentina won?
1: They did. Fiorentina, look at you guys. You got nine points already. You guys are. 90, You're in Europa well. League spots right now.
0: I know. I know. I, I started sniffing around. I said, okay, we need about 60, 65 to make this interesting. Look at our pace out of 114 possible <laughs> points. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're <laughs> doing no all way. the delusional stuff.
1: There's no way in hell this conversation happens on this podcast if
0: Bud and Dan are here. <laughs> 100%. We should get out of here before they pull the plug on us. You can follow him on Twitter at Tom brunell You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson back on Monday, 3 p.m. live YouTube.com slash cover three or wherever you get your podcast. Tom, thank you very much. Thank
3: you. Okay, picture this.